Amen. We'll go ahead and have a seat. I brought my starting blocks with me. I'm afraid I'll tear an ACL or something, so I'm not going to get down on them, but they're here, okay? So we're good to go. If you don't know me, my name's Rusty. I am one of the teaching pastors here. If you're joining us either here or online, we're really glad to have you here today. If you brought a Bible with you, go ahead and open it up to 1 Peter chapter 1 is where we're going to be hanging out for a little while this morning. So 1 Peter chapter 1, we'll get all set up and ready to go here. We're continuing our series that we are calling Running Together. And what we've been talking about is how Christ stands ready to change us and change the world around us. And He's already given us everything we need to live with the living hope that changes everything. Last week we talked for a few minutes about the recipients of this letter that Peter wrote to the early church, how they had been under severe persecution and going through just terrible heartbreak. And Peter wrote to them, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because in Him He has given you a living hope. And we said last week that this was just such a beautiful passage that encouraged us, and Peter was encouraging them, to take their eyes off of their circumstances and instead put their eyes on their Savior who had given them this incredible salvation. So what we're going to do today is kind of take a little closer look at this salvation and how it changes everything. But last week, just to review, we said that Jesus has made us alive, Jesus has secured our future, and Jesus has transformed the way we live today. So if you weren't here last week, I just spent like 30 seconds telling you what it took me 30 minutes to tell you last week. So congratulations, right? Uh, you, you missed a good Sunday. Just kidding. Uh, I'm glad that you're here. This is going to be really good for us today to kind of just zoom in and focus a little bit more on what this salvation has done for us and how we as God's people should respond to that salvation together. So uh, some of you who've hung out with me a little bit, Know that I'm a big fan of baseball, specifically the world champion Houston Astros. Just wanted to throw that out there. I don't have that much longer to say that. Hopefully we'll repeat and I can say it for another year. But I'm going to say it as many times as I can between now and the World Series because we're the current world champions. I watched the game last night, uh, so if I look a little tired... It's because of that, and if I seem very hyped up, it's because of donuts and coffee, praise the Lord, right? Uh, but anyways, one thing I love is baseball movies, a good baseball movie. Anybody like a good baseball movie? We were talking about it last night, uh, Greg was over, we're watching the game, and Mallory said, there's this movie, I don't know if it's new or not, it's called Field of Dreams, and I'm like, what, what are you talking about? So uh, I've got to educate my wife on baseball movies, so y'all pray for us, and she's also probably not happy that I mentioned her right now, so. So pray for me, okay? Uh, but my, one of my favorite movies is the all-time classic, The Sandlot. Do you remember The Sandlot? Uh, now, The Sandlot is really kind of a coming-of-age story of a group of guys who would hang out together over the summers playing baseball. And a new kid moves into the neighborhood who is small in stature, so he earns the nickname Smalls. Smalls is a little bit different, doesn't really fit in, but he's trying really hard, so he starts hanging out with this group of guys, and they're playing baseball together. So uh, they're playing one day, and they lose the baseball, which means the game is over. They're all disappointed. Well, Smalls sees a way in. He says, I'm going to make this right. Hang on, I can get us a baseball. So he runs to his house, and he grabs one of his dad's baseballs that is up on the mantle and takes it out there, and they start playing baseball. Well, as you can imagine, somebody ends up hitting the ball over the fence, and across this fence is the meanest, baddest, literal junkyard dog you could imagine. And they even call this dude the beast. 
and, and the beast, the ball is gone and they are all just like, oh no, what are we going to do? I don't have the ball. And you know, oh man, the game's over and they're frustrated. But Smalls isn't just frustrated. The game is over. Smalls is panicking because he's lost his dad's baseball. And the other boys say, hey man, we can get another baseball. Quit freaking out. And he goes, no, this one was special. It was signed by somebody. And they said, who? And he goes, I don't know, some friend of my dad, some lady named Baby Ruth. I had that same reaction in first service. Some of y'all, if that's a punchline, you need to watch the Sandlot, okay? Those of you who knew what's coming, that's greatness, isn't it, right? So in that moment, it becomes obvious that Smalls did not understand the value of what he had. The reason I share that story with you this morning was because I think a lot of Christ followers don't understand the value of our salvation and the great worth of our salvation. You may be like Smalls' dad. Maybe you kind of just have it up on a shelf somewhere gathering dust. Or maybe you're like Smalls, kind of being a little casual and reckless and not even really considering the value of it. But my prayer for all of us today as we look at God's word together is that he will help us understand the infinite worth and value of this treasure that we have in our salvation that Christ has granted us. So let's get to our text, First Peter chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 10. Let me just level with you before I read this handful of verses. This is one of those verses that when you read it, you go, what? Okay, can I just say that? Let's right out of the gate. And one of two reactions tends to happen. When we read a passage that challenges us, either we kind of just turn our brains off, or we really lean in to listen to what the Lord is saying. Can we do option B today? You with me? All right. So three people are going to hear the rest of the sermon. Let's go. <laughs> the word of the Lord. First Peter one. Let's start in verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them, talking about these prophets, that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Will you pray with me? Lord, we need your help today as we open your word. We don't just want a sermon that makes us feel good. We don't want a sermon that makes us feel smarter. God, we want to know when we walk out of here later that you have met with us and that you have spoke to us through your word. So, Lord, I pray that you would do that. Do what you do as we study your word, and that's challenge us and change us, mold and shape us into the men and women you want us to be. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, have you ever really looked forward to something Really, really look forward to something to only end up having to miss it. I'll, I'll just share with you about a year ago, our founding pastor, Pastor Brad, was coming to the church that I was the pastor of in Southeast Texas. And I was so excited about it. It was a big Sunday for us uh, where a lot of folks came. It was the opening weekend of hunting season there, uh, which in Texas we can hunt for a couple months uh, with our rifles. So I don't know why we have a short window here, but that's all right. So, uh, but everybody's into it first week, and, and usually that's traditionally a low Sunday in church, right? Uh, makes sense, huh? Southeast Texas, they want to go hunt. So we did something that we called camo day, 
where people would wear their camo to church. And for some reason, we started that three or four years ago, like everybody came to church just because they could wear their camo. It was crazy. But let me just throw that out there. If that works with you, you can wear camo any Sunday. If you're watching on the live feed thinking, I'd go to church if I could wear camo, wear it. All right. We don't care what you wear. Just come worship with us. Amen. So anyways, that was always a cool day, and I was super excited that Pastor Brad was coming, so fired up about it, and that he came and was spending some time there, and I was excited to get to see our church respond to him and how that would go. And about 3 a.m. Sunday morning, the stomach bug that had gone through my entire family finally got to me, and I ended up missing it. Disappointing, yeah, for real. On the other side of that, maybe some of you have been in this situation. Have you ever watched a movie or read a book or studied a different point in history and thought to yourself, I wish I would have been born in those days? Have you ever done that? Well, in a very real sense, what we have happening in this text are both ends of that happening simultaneously. At first, Peter is going to wrap up this section of this letter by pointing back to the prophets of the Old Testament. Verse 10 says that the prophets searched intently and prophesied with the greatest of care about the Savior who would come. These people, these prophets, dedicated their lives to studying, to seeking God, to writing about this salvation and the promised Messiah who would come. They longed to know and experience the salvation that was going to come through Jesus Christ. Which brings up a very interesting theological conundrum for us to consider If salvation is only by grace through faith in Jesus, then how were people in the Old Testament saved? It's a good question, isn't it? The answer ultimately is by grace through faith. And that ultimately means that even they were saved through Christ. The prophets and those throughout the Old Testament placed their faith in God and the hope that was to come. This is seen throughout the scripture. God has shown his grace from the beginning of time. Salvation has always been available to sinners, but its salvation has always only been possible through God's grace. So while the prophets and the Old Testament folks sought the Lord and experienced salvation, their salvation was by placing their hope in a hope that was to come in Jesus Christ. But this is where it gets interesting for us, because last week Peter said that you have a living hope. So Old Testament Christians placed their faith in Christ in a hope that was yet to come. But those of us who are in Christ today have a living hope that is here and alive today in Jesus Christ. Think about that for a second. That's pretty incredible, isn't it? So as you read through the Old Testament prophets, you can really sense the longing and the desire that they had to see this completed work. But they didn't see it during their time on earth. So then you have the other side of the spectrum, that last line of verse 12, it says, even angels long to look at these things. Verse 12 says that angels long to see this. What's interesting is that angels are not fallen creatures. They are with the Lord right now. In fact, they are messengers of the gospel. The word angel literally means messenger. That's freaked me out before in some other faith traditions. I was preaching in a church one time and the pastor of that church said, we're really glad to have the angel of the church at Cornerstone here. And I'm like, did that dude just call me an angel? Right? And if you read, what what do you see? You see that in Revelation to the angel of the church of this. And he's calling the literal, the pastor of the church, uh, the angel. That doesn't mean that they're an angel and have heavenly qualities. That means that they are the messengers of God. 
So the angels themselves, the messengers of salvation, who were the first to announce the gospel, and they're, they're still active in pronouncing the gospel to this day, and they are with God the Father in eternity right now. Even the angels long to see and experience the salvation that you and I have and experience today if you're in Christ. I know we've kind of wandered into some deep waters, and some of you are like, what is this guy doing today? Here's the point. Writing this letter to a people who are discouraged and hurting, Peter says, you have a salvation that gives you a living hope and an inexpressible joy that is unlike anything experienced at any time and at any place before today. The prophets, the men who God used to literally write the Bible, long to experience the salvation that you and I get to experience today. The angels, the literal messengers of God, desire to experience what you and I are experiencing today if we are in Christ. That is an incredible thing to think about. Crossroad, it is indeed a great day to be alive, but it's especially a great day to be alive in Christ. Peter wanted these brothers and sisters and us to know what a great privilege it is to walk in salvation today. So the question becomes for us, Are we living in that privilege? Are we walking in the privilege that our salvation affords? Are we living with a living hope? I think it's important to let the scripture today remind us of what a blessing it is to know Christ and have the relationship we get to have with him. I think we have this uh, issue in modern day Christianity. I like to call it barely getting by Christianity. We're all just kind of moping our way through life. Barely putting one foot in front of an up, in front of the other. And they say, how you doing? And we say, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For He has given us a living hope. Hadn't that been you before, if you're honest? Now, to be sure, there are seasons in life where we're going to grieve. There are going to be times where we go through difficult days and where it is more than appropriate to be sorrowful and to take our burdens and our cares to the Lord. That, that is all true. But here's the thing. Regardless of what you're going through in your life, regardless of circumstances, our salvation should be something that, that kind of centers us, that kind of reigns in our emotions and our feelings, and regardless of the circumstances around us, gives us that gospel perspective that we talked about last week. Whatever you're walking through today, you can walk through with joy knowing that, like we said last week, Jesus has saved us, he has secured our future, and he has transformed today. So are we walking with that gospel perspective? I don't know that that I am today, but what I'm praying is that the Lord would help us be able to do that. How should we respond to the gospel? How should we respond to the salvation that's been given to us? I've got three words that I want us to kind of put in our heads and our hearts. And when we think about this salvation we've been given, I want these three words to come back to our minds and, and inform the way that we live our lives. And they all start with the same letters, so I get like extra preacher points, okay? First, when we think about the gospel, when we think about our salvation, it should compel us to praise Jesus. It should compel us to praise Jesus. When we think about salvation, we should immediately become a people of praise. Now, praise is a churchy word, but praise just means to speak highly of or to make much of something or someone. 
The gospel of Jesus Christ and the salvation it has granted us should cause us to make much of Jesus. But somewhere along the way, if we're honest, we've quit being in awe of our salvation, haven't we? For some reason, as Christ followers, it gets really easy for the amazing grace to not be so amazing to us anymore. But we need to rediscover the gospel that is a source of inexhaustible joy and hope. Our lives literally should look like we have found the jackpot of joy and hope. That's what our lives should look like. We should be so ridiculously hopeful that people are coming up to us. Remember what First Peter chapter 3 said, a couple chapters from where we're reading right now. Peter said, hey, always be ready to give a reason for the hope that is in you. I love this. Now, giving a reason, that's talking about apologetics. That's some cool stuff. We love to study us some apologetics. That's all really cool stuff. But here's the baseline for me. Before you even get to giving them a reason, when's the last time someone approached you and said, why do you have so much hope? Why are you so hopeful? Why are you so different? I think if we're honest today, we find ourselves walking through life as barely getting by Christians. But the gospel of Jesus Christ, the amazing grace of our Lord and Savior should never stop being amazing. The gospel should radically change us to the point that people will say, why do you have this hope? I don't know about you, but what I'm asking God to do in me right now is to give me the hope that will put his gospel on display. To let me live with such inexpressible joy that people will say, what's different about you? How can I know this Jesus that you know? The salvation God has given us should compel us to praise Jesus. The next truth is this. The salvation God has given us compels us not only to praise Jesus, but it compels us to pursue Jesus. Compels us to pursue Jesus. Do you remember the parable of the treasure in the field and the parable of the pearl of great price? These are in Matthew 13. If you're taking notes and want to check that out later, you can. But there's two real quick stories where Jesus says there was a man walking through a field and he stumbled across this treasure of great value. And it said that he buried it and he went and sold everything that he had so he could go and buy that field so he could get the treasure. Then it tells the story of a guy who was a pearl merchant who would buy these pearls that were worth a lot of money. And one day he was in this one particular place and found this one pearl that was better than all the rest. A pearl of great price is what the scripture says. And it said he joyfully went and sold his entire collection, sold all his belongings so he could obtain this pearl of great price. Both of these stories, the point is that Jesus is the treasure of infinite value. That Jesus is the pearl of great price. And we as his people ought to joyfully surrender everything that we have and everything that we are so that we can get that treasure. Our praise of Jesus will naturally lead into our pursuit of Jesus. And we said this during the first service. It's worth repeating again. You need to catch this. How do you know if your praise is genuine? Because it's pretty easy to fake our praise, isn't it? We're going to get real today. Pretty easy to fake it. How you doing? Blessed and highly favored. Amen. Yeah. Just got done arguing with your wife on the way to church. You walk in, oh, this is some of you, some of this happened today for somebody, all right? He's like, how does he know? Because this is life, y'all. 
fought the whole way to church, had to whip both kids on the way here, and you walk in the door. Hey, how you doing? Blessed. Hashtag blessed. Amen. Check out my Instagram later. There's going to be a picture of coffee in my Bible. Life is good. Amen. But here's where the rubber meets the road. Genuine praise is always going to lead to pursuit of God. A genuine life of praise is always going to lead to us wholeheartedly pursuing Jesus. To sell everything of this world and chase after him with everything we are. To run to him daily and to press into the truth of the gospel more and more. How do we do that? Well, the good news is God's given us a treasure map, y'all. He's given us directions. And here's what gets us if we're not careful, especially those like me, if you have a church background, we kind of become experts in treasure hunting. We know all the best ways to do it. Here's all the latest and greatest methods. We know all about the pearls. We know how to identify a good pearl from a bad pearl. And we'll tell you real quick. And we got all kinds of information. But when it really gets down to it, the treasure is still in the field. The pearl is still for sale up at the shop because we've never really surrendered everything and sold out so that we could obtain the treasure. Somewhere along the way, Crossroad, we've got to stop studying the Bible and stop studying about Jesus for the sake of studying the Bible and studying about Jesus. Instead, we need to study His Word for the sake of knowing Him and loving Him more because He has revealed Himself to us completely through His Word. And when we study His Word, we know Him more and more and more. Verse 10 says that the prophets invested their lives digging in and inquiring about the salvation. You and I ought to have that same desire to dig into the treasure that is Jesus. That's what it means for us to pursue Christ. And I'm afraid too many of us have found the treasure. You experienced salvation, but you gave your life to Christ and then you called it a day spiritually. But can I tell you something? When you gave your life to Christ, when you surrendered everything to Him, that wasn't the finish line, that was the starting line. It was the starting line. Christ follower, hear me when I say this. If you're still living... You've still got growing left to do. If you're still living, you've still got growing left to do. We're never going to be done growing in Christ on this side of eternity. Day after day, we ought to be growing in our knowledge and love of Jesus. Let me ask you a question that I think really helps us evaluate where we're at. Do you love Jesus more today than you did yesterday? Do you love Jesus more today than you did Yesterday, That's what a growing relationship looks like. To pursue Jesus day after day and to grow in your love for Him. So how do we grow in our knowledge of who Jesus is and our love for Him? What does that look like? Well, again, verse 12 tells us that the prophets were not serving themselves but us. How are they serving us? By diligently and faithfully listening to the Lord and writing down what He said. We have for ourselves the Bible. The very Word of God. What a blessing the Bible is to us. Let me just challenge you this morning. If you are not committed to reading the Word of God daily, I want to challenge you to do that. You can't really know Him if you're not letting Him speak into your life on a daily basis through His Word. And I want to just push back on that. I know we got a lot of young folks in here. I'm so thankful for the blessings that we have with technology. 
But can I tell you, uh, as, an, as great of an encouragement as the verse a day that can be that gets texted to us or notified to us, we need more than a verse a day. The world's full of verse a day Christians. We need people who will seriously read and study the Bible and let Jesus change us from the inside out so that we can impact the world around us. It's a great day to be alive, Crossroad. Not only do we have this salvation and the privilege of knowing God through Christ, but we also have the fully developed, perfect and complete word of God. And let's just take that a step further. We live in a modern time where this smartphone I have and that most people have in their pockets and in their possession has the Bible in just about every translation. In fact, there are untold resources on this phone that I can study the Word of God in so many incredible ways. I I was thinking about this earlier. My grandfather's pastor, if I could have toured his library and seen all of his resources, I have probably twice what he had, and it's all for free and available to any of us right now. Think about that for a second. We live in a great time where we can know the Word of God, but here's the, the reality. Do you think that we're as biblically literate today as that culture was, you know, 50 years ago? In my experience, in modern day Christianity, I feel like many of us today don't really know the Bible very well. Even if you've been raised in the church a lot of times. If that's you today, I don't say that to make you feel bad. Like, I don't want you to be like, oh man, he's talking about me. No. Listen, what I'm trying to tell you is that this is a great day to be alive. Because the God who loves you and created you for his purposes has given you his complete word and you have access to it like probably no point in human history before. You have resources, you can study it, you can know him more. And not just to know the Bible, but to know the God who reveals himself to us through his Bible. And when we know him through his word, we can praise him and we can pursue him. Because when you start reading his word, guess what? From Genesis all the way to Revelation, this is the story of God's work of salvation. And you see it jumping off the page by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Anytime you read God's word, you should be reminded, refocused, and rejoicing in the salvation that God's provided. So if you're a new Christian or if you've been a Christ follower for decades, this is an invitation to live a life of praise by pursuing Jesus. And that leads to our final call. This salvation causes us to praise Jesus and to pursue Jesus daily, but it also calls us to be a people who proclaim Jesus. Who proclaim Jesus. Verse 12 said that, The prophets discovered that they were not serving themselves, but us in the things they studied and learned and preached. The prophets searched for the Messiah. Their diligent digging into the truth of salvation was not just for them, but it was for others. And remember, they didn't even experience the full revelation of this salvation through Jesus. But God used them to proclaim the gospel to the world, including you and me. We need to remember that as we live in response to the gospel in response to this great salvation, that our lives of praise and pursuing Jesus are not all about us. It's not all about us. In fact, why don't you say that with me? It's not about me. It's not about me. You might ought to just wake up and say that first thing in the morning. Especially if there's like a two-year-old like tugging on your shirt or something, right? 
Sorry, I slipped into testimony time there. If you have been saved by Jesus today, can I tell you, you were not just saved from an eternity in hell, but you were saved to his glorious mission. You were saved to serve. You were saved to proclaim the gospel to anyone who will listen. I'm afraid this is the blind spot of the modern church. We have created a very me-centered Christianity. Our Christianity tends to be all about us. We have so many access to so much great teaching. There are wonderful podcasts and books and Bible studies. But when I walk through Christian bookstores and see resources, they all tend to be about our personal relationship with Jesus. And we don't see a lot that says, hey, it's not about you. You were saved to serve. You were saved to proclaim this gospel. And there's so many people in churches today, even in this church, who are very knowledgeable. People who have decades of solid Bible teaching and growing in that knowledge. But somewhere along the way, we need to understand that this salvation, this glorious gospel is not just about us. Just like the prophets, God wants to use us and use the blessing that he has given us, the opportunities to grow in Christ and learn about this knowledge of him, to turn into love for him that is so on fire that we can't help but proclaim him to everybody that we come into contact with. Is that you today? Is that you? God wants to use you to proclaim his gospel to a world that desperately needs it. We said earlier that it is a great privilege to be saved. It's a great privilege to know Jesus. Why is it such a privilege? Because God himself has invited us to participate in something that's way bigger than ourselves. He's invited us to step out of our meaningless stories that at the end of the day won't have an impact on eternity and to step into his story. The one that started when he spoke the world into creation. The story that he's still writing today, he invites you and me to jump in and be a part of proclaiming his gospel to a world that desperately needs it. You say, well, preacher, how do we do that? Good question. Start with your realm of influence that you have right now. And some of you are like, well, I don't know who I would tell about Jesus. You probably have family members who need to know about Jesus. You have neighbors who need to know about Jesus. You have co-workers and friends who need to know about Jesus. You say, well, I just don't know what to say. Can I tell you something? This is a great place to start. You don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to have, you know, an evangelism method down. Those are all great things and good tools that can be used. But start with just talking about what Jesus is doing in your life right now. Share your story. Share what Jesus is doing in you. Can I tell you something, church? Many of you are here today because someone shared their story with you. Some of you maybe got saved at a revival or in a church service. Praise God for his work of salvation, however it happened. But many of you are probably here today because of the testimony of a friend or loved one. Share your story. Another great thing you can do is invite someone to come to church with you. And that, that's, a, that's something we can do. We've got something coming up. We're, we're going to trunk or treat. That's a great thing where we'll be here on campus, boots on the ground, ready to talk to people and start conversations with people. 
We're going to be doing a series in November that is really geared towards making people who maybe don't have a church background feel comfortable. We're going to do some fun things. It's going to be kind of a fun month around this place. But at the heart of it, guess what? We're going to be preaching the gospel. We're going to be preaching the gospel. We're sending flyers out to 5,000 homes within a radius of this church building. And we're going to invite them. But who could you invite? Who do you need to start praying right now about who you want to invite to come and be a part of that series? And be a part of those messages. But can I just tell you something? At the end of the day, this isn't about growing this church. This is about impacting the kingdom of God. It's about transforming our community for the sake of the gospel. I said this in the first service and I'll say it again. It's even it's going out on the web right now. If you win your entire neighborhood to Christ and they all go and join Reliance Church, can I just say, guess what I'm going to say? Praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. We want to bring people into the kingdom of God, not just into Crossroad Church. And it starts with being a people who will proclaim the gospel. And you don't have to do it with a sermon. You can just start with your story or a simple invitation to come to church. You know, people tend to think that folks aren't going to come to church. Ah, uh, they're not going to come to church. I, they don't want to talk about that. They don't want to be invited. But again, think about it. Why are you here? Chances are you're here because somebody along the way invited you to join them on the journey. Somewhere along the way, someone said, hey, why don't you come hang out with this family that I've got? And when you came, God brought you into this family so that we could run together for the sake of the gospel. The reality is we think that people won't go to church, but there have been some polls. Lifeway Research did a poll that was pretty astounding to me. It was a large majority, almost 80% of people that said if they were invited by a friend to come to church, they were somewhat likely to say yes. You think, ah, people don't want to come. Can I tell you what the reality is about the unchurched next door to your house? They haven't been invited. Think about your community. Think about the people next door to you. Do they know that you love Jesus? And have they been invited? Let's be a people who proclaim the gospel. We want to invite people into this great salvation. We want them to come and we want them to meet Jesus so they can join us on this journey of praising Jesus with our lives, pursuing Him, growing every week as we open the Word together. And then joining us on this glorious mission of proclaiming the gospel to anyone who will listen. Are you ready to run this morning? Let's try that one more time. Are you ready to run this morning? I'm going to ask our praise team to come up. We're going to close in a song of, of celebration. We, we have this great salvation that we ought to declare and praise Jesus for. We're going to have an opportunity to praise Him right now. We're going to sing. We're going to rejoice and thank God for the salvation He's given us. And then I pray that as we praise Him together, that we will leave here excited and fired up to go and proclaim Him to everybody we come into contact with. Pray with me. Lord, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for a clear challenge, God. Uh, it is so easy for us to be a people who uh, honestly can be fake praisers. Lord, we kind of come in here and just do our thing and go on about our week. But Lord, I pray that we would really be a people who praise You and worship you in spirit and truth in such a way that that praise leads to real pursuit of you, that we would dig into your word and we would grow in knowledge and love for you 
And God, that that would fire us up to the point that we will be a people who proclaim your good news to anyone who will listen. Lord, we can't help but share the joy that we found. I pray that we would run together in a way that brings this community and this city to you for the sake of the gospel.